we hadn't reached an acceptable level of evidence against four, but we had reached an acceptable level of evidence against two. I would have wanted to do anything I could to have helped Stephen. Because afterwards you think, oh, maybe I could have done something so that this did not happen. All I can think about is Stephen and that perhaps somewhere down the line we will finally get justice for him. That pub's quite notorious for if police go there, there's always a bundle. The two men accused of killing Stephen Lawrence were brought to the old bailiff. We're going to give it our best ever shot. We are going to try and right the wrong. I entered the witness room. I just burst into tears. One of my greatest hope is that these people have now realised that they've been found out. I'm Stephen Wright, and this is the Mail Plus True Crime series. Stephen Lawrence, the murder that shamed Britain. Episode 5, Guilty at Last. The scientific breakthrough in the Lawrence case had raised hopes in DCI Clive Driscoll's team that there might finally be justice for Stephen and his family. Forensic science had placed David Norris and Gary Dobson at the murder scene, but there was so much more to do in order to build a strong case against the pair and persuade prosecutors to bring murder charges. Clive, at that stage, how do you manage your expectations? Because I know that in my business, when I've got a potentially huge story on, I think of all the things that can go wrong. Is it like that as a senior detective on the brink of possibly getting justice in a notorious case? Well, I think my confidence was growing because massive credit to the scientists. We were literally sort of finding it was getting firmer and firmer and firmer. Um, and, you know, any, any of the difficulties we may have had were getting further and further away. Nazir Assel was a senior lawyer at the Crown Prosecution Service, the organisation which, amongst other things, decides if evidence gathered by the police is strong enough to take to trial. They had, through forensic analysis, groundbreaking stuff at the time. We're talking about something that I don't, still don't understand. Mitochondrial DNA, not visible to the eye. Samples uh, found on uh, Dobson's clothing, for example, of Lawrence's blood. But having now had the ability to say that we could now place them at the scene with Stephen when Stephen was killed, mm. that was a significant change of circumstance. Clive, you had two suspects linked to the scene with the DNA and fibre evidence. But what about the others? During your investigation leading up to the arrests, did you work on the other original prime suspects? We did a, a quite a lot of work around that. And it would be right to say that originally that we were hoping for four. That would be right. But they went through our evidence and they felt that we hadn't reached uh, an acceptable level of evidence against four, but we had reached an acceptable level of evidence against two. But there was another hurdle. Before the case against Dobson could proceed, the then Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Starmer, on the advice of one of his top prosecutors, Alison Saunders, 
had to get Dobson's previous murder acquittal quashed. Sakir asked the Court of Appeal to grant a retrial under the new double jeopardy rules. We couldn't just go straight to the murder trial. We had to basically arrest Mr Gary Dobson and we had to then go to the Royal Courts of Justice because we had to use the Criminal Justice Act, double jeopardy as it's called. We had to show that the information we had was new and compelling. So we had quite a lot of work to do and the leader of the opposition now Mr Starmer, he was DAPP at the time. And so we had to present a file to him saying, look, this is the evidence that we've got. This is why we feel that that not guilty verdict needs to be removed and we take it to trial. His application was successful, paving the way for the trial of Dobson and Norris. The Court of Appeal ruled that there was sufficient, reliable and substantial new evidence to set aside the double jeopardy rule, to quash Mr Dobson's acquittal and order a new trial. In May 2011, the Court of Appeal gave the go-ahead for Dobson and Norris to go on trial. After the court ruling, Stephen's mum, Doreen, struggled to contain her emotions as she reacted to a key milestone in her son's case. It's been a long time in coming, but we still have a long way to go. And so at this moment in time, all I can think about is Stephen and that perhaps somewhere down the line we will finally get justice. Clive, did the court ruling make you more confident that you could get a conviction in so much as the Lord Chief Justice, Lord Judge and the Court of Appeal had said you had sufficient evidence to retry Gary Dobson. From that moment on, you know, once we'd got permission to go to court, confidence is a bad word when you're talking about criminal court cases, but I felt we was in as good a place as we possibly could be. Can I take you back to the arrest of Dobson and Norris? How did you plan for their arrest? Because That was a big moment in your inquiry, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I actually knew exactly where Mr Dobson was because he was serving time for drugs. So I knew where he was. He was in Belmarsh. You probably never hear a police officer say this too often, but I'd have to give my thanks and also my praise to the criminal investigation branch who investigate police because the only people who I could get to watch Mr Norris was them. We watched Mr Norris and we located that he was in a pub down in South East London, the Charlton Football Club. That pub's quite notorious for if police go there, there's always a bundle. Yet we went into that pub, it was early morning, I used to add. We entered the bedroom, we arrested Mr Norris and we got him to the police station. I remember Mr Norris talking to me as if I was like his mate. And I remember saying, I ain't your mate. In relation to Norris, what was his reaction to being arrested? Was there that old swagger, the sense of, I don't have anything to worry about? Now, I have to say, I generally thought both Mr Dobson and Mr Norris just thought it was, oh, here we go, same old, same old. Uh, Even when we interviewed them and eventually charged them, I would have thought they would have felt, well, here we go again, and, that, that you know, we'll just ride this out and eventually it'll be kicked into touch.
Swagger, I don't know if I'd use swagger, but they certainly didn't seem that concerned, that's for sure. And by that stage, of course, David Norris's father, Clifford, who had been suspected of intimidating witnesses and possibly bribing police officers in order to protect his son in the past, was basically an out-of-work gangster living in a relatively dingy property in Kent. He wasn't there to protect his son now, was he? I know that two of my DCs went to speak to Mr Norris and I, I remember to this day what the DC said to me when he came back. He said, people who are in destitute don't send their suits away to be cleaned and wear expensive shoes. So I, I think that he was certainly where he was. I, I'm never too sure whether or not he was as destitute as maybe he made out, but I didn't perceive him as a threat. And, and at the time, we were very keen to show the world and his wife and certainly everybody in Greenwich, you ain't going to sway us. I don't even bother trying. You know, we are we are going to do our utmost and try our hardest. That's what we did. We were determined that we were going to be. I don't think we could ever could say we were squeaky clean because I'm never too sure what that is. But we were going to be as, as professional and as, you know, as beyond reproach as we possibly could. Now Clive and his team knew they were going to take Gary Dobson and David Norris to court for Stephen's murder, they, along with the lawyers at the CPS, had to prepare for a landmark trial. They had the DNA and fibre evidence from Professor Angela Gallup's forensics team, but they also needed to contact key witnesses who could be called to testify at the Old Bailey and ensure all the prosecution documents were in order. Alexandra Marie, the French au pair who had witnessed Stephen's murder, was living in France in 2011 and had mostly lost touch with the Met and the Lawrence case. Mr Driscoll came over to France to warn me because I wasn't reading the press personally uh, very rarely because I was too emotional. So it was a kind of uh, protection not to read the news. And he came over and he said that uh, there were evidence and that they were going to be a, a trial. Uh, and that was, well, uh, stressful, but very good news. And you had no doubts about coming to London to help get justice for Stephen? Of course. I've never hesitated to go over mm. to give my testimony. I would have wanted to do anything I could to have helped Stephen. Because afterwards you think, oh, maybe I could have done something so that this did not happen. How nervous were you before the trial, Clive? The stakes were really high here. Were you concerned about the prospects of them once again walking out of court free men? The only way I consoled myself is if, in fact, they said, look, the police have copped this up again. I don't think anyone had gone, you're joking, are you? No, I, I actually felt very confident in the work that the team had done. The parents of Stephen Lawrence arriving at the Old Bailey for the trial of the two men accused of their son's murder. It's 18 years since their son Stephen was killed. Today, Doreen and Neville Lawrence arrived at the Old Bailey to watch the two men accused of his murder go on trial. For his parents, today began as a day of reckoning. The trial of Dobson and Norris started at the Old Bailey in November 2011. 
amid enormous public and press interest. For the Crown, Mark Ellison QC said Stephen was swallowed up by a gang of white youths who shouted racist abuse at him before stabbing him to death. He said the A-level student was targeted because of the colour of his skin by a group of like-minded young men who shared the same racial animosity. Stephen's dad, Neville Lawrence, left court briefly as particularly harrowing details of the murder were read out. A key moment in the trial was the decision by the judge to allow the so-called video of hate as evidence. It was an interesting decision legally, wasn't it, Nazir, to allow that evidence to be used as part of the prosecution case? Evidence is only admissible if it's proportionate and if it's necessary and if it reaches criminal standards and it directs evidence towards a particular individual committing a particular crime. And that video, which I recall, was uh, of them thrusting knives and while well, sitting together and chatting away or screaming at each other and using racial language, didn't directly go to the events that the jury were concerned with. What the prosecution said and successfully said was that it was sufficiently probative of their mindset, Dobson and Norris's mindset, at around about the time of Stephen's murder, that the jury should hear it. What the defence argued was that it might be probative, but it's so prejudicial. But, you know, the judge said, look, I can handle that. I will direct the jury so that they know that they have to look at all the evidence and not just this particular video. But it was striking, as you say, to see what these men were like, because 17, 18, 19 years had passed, I think, at that time. They were now wearing suits. They looked older. They looked very different. And they're sitting there with their legal teams and the jury looking at them and thinking, well, I don't know if this person is really guilty. Well, let me tell you what they looked like at the time of Stephen's murder and what they were saying at the time of Stephen's murder. But as I say, it was absolutely essential that they saw it. Uh, but it wasn't... Um, assuring that a judge would allow it. The covert police video showed the defendant's despicable racist views and obsession with violence just 20 months after Stephen was stabbed to death. Anyone who saw it, you know, would be horrified. It's just awful. And so that was them. And we were talking about then, weren't we? We were talking about this happened in 1993 and that was 1994. So that was them then. And that's why it was relevant. And the footage came with a rider from the trial judge, Mr Justice Tracy. He warned the jury that they may well find these scenes shocking, but added that this evidence cannot identify those involved in the attack. Stephen's mother, Doreen, and his brother, Stuart, were in court to watch the video and Dobson for themselves. In the witness box, Dobson described his behaviour to the court as stupid, moronic and embarrassing. But he couldn't deny that he and friends had spent an evening at this flat talking about skinning black people alive. Dobson and Norris gave evidence in their own defence at the trial and as I remember it, Clive, they didn't help themselves. I think Norris said he couldn't remember what he was doing the night Stephen died. This was something which had been on his mind in his life for 18 or 19 years by then. I didn't believe then that the jury would buy that he'd forgotten what he was doing that night. 
This may seem crazy, but I always felt we were very strong on Mr. Dobson because of the forensic evidence. But I actually felt after Mr. Norris had given evidence, well, we're, it's probably a flick of a coin now because I think Mr. Norris talked about violence and racism in such a casual way that that most people wouldn't have found it difficult to believe that he was a violent racist. Before Dobson and Norris took the witness stand, prosecution lawyers called a number of witnesses, including Alexandra Marie, to explain what they saw. Alex, how did you feel when you arrived at the Old Bailey on the day you were due to give evidence? I was very nervous. I entered the witness room, I just burst into tears because it was too too much emotion. And uh, I saw the other witness and uh, I got into panic and uh, said, oh, where am I? What is happening? And uh, it was impressive and I, and I was scared to see David Norris and uh, Gary Dobson. Did you look at them? When you came into yes. court? Yes. Why did you do that? Because I think a lot of people wouldn't do that. I met um, David Norris' eyes, but uh, just uh, it scared me. Why? Because you remember that night? or Because I knew he was, um, he was there. It's difficult to, to explain because you you don't meet murderers uh, every day, fortunately. You were very brave, I would say, Alex, to look at those men in the dock, given what you had been through, not only the night of Stephen's murder, but the difficulties you had had since. And the actual experience of giving evidence at the trial... Were you concerned before you gave your testimony that you might not remember what had happened because it was a long time ago and maybe some things you had blocked out of your memory because the memories are so painful. Yes, that was one of my concerns. Uh, so because I had like, um, I see, a, a denial, I forgot most of the things. So before um, testifying, um, I was allowed to read my testimony again. So it was a lot of pages. I don't remember um, how many, but so I was allowed to, to read it and I was allowed to use it at the, during the trial because they referred to it. They, they, they said, okay, page uh, 20, you said this and that. Uh, is that correct? And um, mm. so I was helped with the written testimony. By the time of the court case, Alex, had you met Stephen's parents and Dwayne Brooks? I met Stephen's parents uh, after my testimony. Just after I gave a testimony, I said, oh, can I, can I talk to Stephen's parents? I also met his brother. Uh, it was a nice feeling to meet them and be able to say how sorry I was. That must have been a very emotional moment for all of you because you were mm. one of the last people to see Stephen alive. That's yeah. why, in, in a way, I was happy to give evidence, uh, to give my testimony, because I, I was able to see that he was a happy, lively, peaceful young man before 
dying. Clive, how significant were the witness accounts from the night of Stephen's murder on the outcome of the trial? You know, I will say that everybody played a part, but but we have to acknowledge that the the work of the scientists and, and Dr Gallup. I think Mr Brooks, you know, and I will give a shout out for Mr Brooks because his father died on the day he was due to give evidence and he phoned me at five o'clock in the morning. And I said, look, Mr. Brooks, I would know if you... And he said, no, I'm, going, I'm giving evidence. Just hours after his father had died, Dwayne Brooks arrived at the Old Bailey to relive the horror of his best friend's murder. He insisted on going ahead with his evidence in front of a packed court, which included the dead teenager's parents, despite his bereavement. Dwayne Brooks recounted the harrowing events of the night Stephen had been killed, how he and his friend had been waiting for the bus home when his life was changed forever. But perhaps the pivotal moment in the trial came during the presentation of the forensic evidence gathered by Professor Angela Gallup and her team of experts. My evidence was about the history of the case, what we had found and how we had found it, and whether or not it could have been it could have been found before, and particularly all those years ago. The fibres and the speck of blood which linked Dobson and Norris to the scene of the crime were all found on evidence that had been gathered by the original Met investigation some 18 years earlier. Defence lawyers argued that the forensic evidence may have been contaminated over the years, and it wasn't reliable. Mr Crane told the jury all the items had been placed in separate evidence bags and then put into larger plastic outer packaging. Gary Dobson's defence barrister, Timothy Roberts, then questioned Mr Crane about contamination. But for you, Angela, the strength of the evidence was in its totality. There was evidence going both ways, fibres from Stephen's clothes to Dobson and Norris and vice versa. That's right, isn't it? Well, you know, they, they proved a connection between their clothing, the items of clothing we had from them, and Stephen Lawrence with an injury because there was blood there and also contact between the clothing with his. Ultimately, the success or failure of the trial hung on the forensic evidence. The prosecution argued that the sheer amount of evidence proved beyond doubt that Dobson and Norris were at the scene on Wellhall Road on the night Stephen was murdered. But would the jury agree? As the trial drew to a close, the judge summed up the prosecution and defence arguments for the jury before sending them out to deliberate. He urged them not to be affected by the emotions of the case, but to concentrate on the evidence. Stephen's mum and dad were in court, as was his younger brother, Stuart. His sister, Georgina, was in telephone contact with the family as the jury deliberated. There were no spare seats in the public gallery. The media bench was full, and Stephen Lawrence's parents were there with several members of their extended family. The judge set out key steps the jurors will need to follow to reach their verdict. These include considering whether forensic evidence was contaminated during handling and storage. He said they needed to be sure of their decision. 
how were you feeling, Clive, at that point? Were you confident you were going to get convictions? What the judge did, he did like a a pathway of success. You may remember this. Mm. He did a pathway of success. And what he actually said is you can only go to look at the interviews and the other evidence after you've satisfied yourself from one to seven. One to seven was all about continuity and integrity of exhibits. And he said, you can only go to the next part when you get to one to seven. So if any, if, if, if during that trial, if any of the jury members had thought you can't rely on the exhibits, we were gone. But they went to one to seven, and I remember being called into court when it was announced that, can we have a look at the evidence now? We're happy with one to seven. And it was, I'm pretty sure it was Mr. Batten. Fence QC. But, yeah, he, actually, he, he said to me, it won't be long now, officer. At the time, I thought, is that good or bad? <laughs> for those in court and for the rest of the country, it was a tense wait. After nearly 19 years, were the Lawrences on the brink of justice? Or would there be a further devastating blow? It took two and a half days for the jury to reach its decision. Clive, what were your emotions when the old Bailey tannoy rang out and we knew there were going to be verdicts? I was incredibly concerned for Baroness Lawrence and Dr Neville Lawrence. I was really concerned for their family that that this wasn't going to be a massive smack in the face. And so at the moment when the foreman of the jury stood up, I suppose I, I actually was looking at Baroness Lawrence and then past Baroness Lawrence, I was looking at Neville Lawrence. It's an old rule of thumb that when a jury returns to a courtroom to give its verdict, the panel members don't look at the defendants in the dock if they're about to find them guilty. And that was the case on Tuesday, January the 3rd, 2012, when the jury of eight men and four women filed back into court to give their verdicts on Gary Dobson and David Norris. For a few seconds, before the jury foreman twice uttered the words guilty, I felt confident about the outcome. Stephen's mum and dad sat motionless in court, solemn, silent and reflective, before they could no longer control their emotions. In the dock, Dobson shook his head melodramatically and uttered something inaudible while Norris stared at the floor. When the foreman gave guilty verdicts, unanimous guilty verdicts, I suppose I felt relief for Baroness Lawrence and Neville Lawrence because I, I, I thought that if it had been a not guilty, I don't know, I'd, I'd dread to think how they'd have felt. But also incredibly proud of the team, you know, because I know how hard they worked. I know... You know, I know they hadn't always been received the help and support from within the police force. I know that some people thought it was a fool's errand. I know that some people thought we were just wasting our time. You know, for them, I just felt so proud of them. And I do today, as I'm talking now, so proud of what they've achieved. And, and I suppose that we give a little bit of justice 
to people who are have been wonderfully kind to me and have been so supportive of me and I'll always be grateful. What do you recall of their demeanour when those verdicts came in? Please forgive me because I wouldn't wish to embarrass them, but they both cried. I have no doubt I would have cried if I'd have been in their situation. I think that they were, I think, semi, semi-shocked. I think that, you know, they, their journey had been one of disappointment, hasn't it? I don't believe for one second that that verdict in any way eased the burden of losing their son. I don't think for one second that guilty verdict makes them feel better about what has happened, because I don't, and I don't think it ever would. These verdicts will not bring my son back. How can I celebrate when I know that this day could have, could have come 18 years ago if the police, who were meant to find my son, my son killers, felt so miserable to do so? These are not a reason to celebrate. One of my greatest hope is that these people have now realised that they've been found out and is now going to go and lay down in their bed and think that they weren't the only ones who were responsible for the death of my son. And they're going to give up the other rest of the people so that I come out here again in a year's time and talk to you people again. Where were you when you discovered that Norris and Dobson were convicted? I imagine maybe someone from the police called you or maybe you heard about it through the TV or radio or... I felt very lonely because I saw that, uh, I read that in the press and I saw videos on the internet and I was very, very happy that I had nobody to share my, I see my, um, my happiness. I don't know, happiness is not the right word in that kind of circumstances. Um, but, uh, well, I saw all these people gathered together and, you know, feeling uh, relieved um, that they they were found guilty. So I was sharing that, but from far and, and on my own in my office at work. The day after the verdicts, Dobson and Norris were sentenced. But the minimum jail terms they received were far less because they had committed the murder of Stephen as juveniles. This meant that although both men were given life sentences, Dobson was jailed for a minimum of 15 years and two months, whilst Norris received 14 years and three months. The judge made it clear that he would much rather be sending Dobson and Norris to jail for much longer. Theirs, he said, was a terrible and evil crime in which the victim was completely blameless and helpless. They both stood with blank faces to receive their sentences, while in the middle of the court, that victim's mother turned to stare straight at them. Jailing the pair for a murder which he said had scarred the conscience of the nation, Mr Justice Tracy dramatically ordered Scotland Yard to hunt down the three or four killers still at large. As Stephen's mother, Doreen, said at the time, her son and her family had received only partial justice. 
only two men have ever been convicted of her son's murder. There has never been enough evidence to successfully prosecute anyone else. But back in 2012, Bernard Hogan Howe, the then head of the Metropolitan Police, had this message for the other culprits. The other people involved in the murder of Stephen Lawrence should not rest easily in their beds. A powerful statement, but realistically, what more could his force do to get further justice for Stephen? Next time on Stephen Lawrence, the murder that shamed Britain. I have absolutely no doubt that it was a group enterprise. This has been a huge set of investigations, uh, five major investigations over the years, reviewed 17 times. There's nothing more can be done at the moment. No homicide is ever closed until everybody involved in it is brought to justice. Inside this book, there's a specific picture of David Norris. They say, it's crazy, but that's the man I saw in the bus. I have absolutely learned to say never say never. The events in Dallas this week have prompted a wave of these demonstrations. People tend not to listen anymore to what the police say. They look at what the police do. You've been listening to Stephen Lawrence, the murder that shamed Britain, with me, Stephen Wright.